Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Inside the junk hole. Oh, my goodness. Well, sometimes that is better. It just tastes so damn good. Stargrove. Wolfman's got nerd. Poor mommy. Here's Johnny. Thou art the one. Slap. Star Child. What the hell did we just watch? The All American Spook Show Podcast. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh, and as always, I'm joined with my friend Will and the Professor Smoke. And uh, if it doesn't sound quite as good as it normally sounds, it's because we've been having some uh, internet and technical difficulties. We've had at least one false uh, start recording where we started this and had to start over again because I wasn't recording. So, uh, so far, this thing is uh, hooking with gas. Uh, let, let's hope you're. Let's hope we can actually get through this thing, and you're actually listening to it, and I'm not just talking to myself. So today we're going to be talking about the cult classic from 1991, Popcorn, which uh, actually just like back February 1st uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary of release because it came out February 1st, 1991. Will, I, you said you hadn't seen it. I haven't seen it. Uh, Smoke, you've seen it before? I, I saw it back when it initially ran in the in the theater. And uh, a handful of times on VHS, we played, we picked up the Steelbook, Blu-ray of it, I guess. I forget who put that out. Synapse, I think, maybe. Yeah, I think I read that Synapse Films had uh, put it out on Blu-ray, like in yeah. 2017, I think it was. Yeah, we got. I think it's the. Uh, yeah, I know we got the Steelbook edition. I don't know how many different versions they put out, but it looked pretty damn good on there. Yeah, like uh, that. For this time, I'd actually downloaded this movie a while back. You know, the old dark arts of the internet. <laughs> Um, like a few years back. And like, so that was the version that I watched this time, um, thinking that it, you know, maybe it was a slightly better version than the one someone had uploaded uh, to YouTube. But I, quality wise, I really don't think it was that much better. Someone actually uploaded, uh, I'm thinking it was like the Blu ray version with commentary on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> and after I, after I watched it the first time, I went back and watched it with the commentary. And, and that version, even though it's got the commentary, looks mm-hmm. a thousand times better than, uh, <laughs> than the version I watched. So and someone also, and I can put some of these links down in the show notes. Someone actually uh, uploaded a, a VHS dub copy to YouTube as well. I can't remember if we talked, did we talk about this at the tail end of another show or did we just talk about it amongst us outside? Of the uh, I, I, I don't recall. We may have, we might've <laughs> mentioned <laughs> it. Yeah. We might've mentioned it at the end of the last episode, but uh, yeah. So like there, there's a couple different versions on YouTube. Which I'm guessing, like, the one quote-unquote good version is probably just a DVD rip. 
from where this came out, yeah. like in like the late nineties, early two thousands on DVD. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, that VHS dub, obviously, that's just straight up ripped off of VHS. It's even got like it's even got like the warnings, you know, the FBI oh, yeah. warning the thing beginning. on it. Never, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, re- the reason I was thinking about, and well, I know we talked about it, but like I don't know if it was in the tail end of the other show or just amongst ourselves after the show. But but uh, I had that VHS and because uh, I remember talking to you about it, it popped, it snapped, and I had to splice it back together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch told, it yeah. Other times, you know, until yeah. the, until we picked up that Blu-ray of uh, the Steelbook. Blu-ray by uh, Synapse that finally came out, which, like I said, I think they put it on on DVD back in yeah early 2000s, dawn dawn of the DVD age or whatever. And that one must have went out of print because it was harder uh, to find, I believe, than VHS. I guess before we get any further, I'll go ahead and give out the usual information. Um, if you want to contact us with uh, you know email, you can email us allamericanspookshow at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at aa spook show. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find all that by searching All American Spook Show. You should, you know, you can probably just Google that and you'll find links to all these things. Uh, we have a T Public page where, you know, we sell the logo merchandise and, and a few other um, pretty cool shirts and whatnot on there. And uh, we have a Patreon now. It's uh, patreon.com slash AA Spook Show um, if you want to sign up for that for the bonus content and stuff. I guess before we get any further, I'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for 1991's Popcorn. Before the horror of Halloween, before the fear of Friday the 13th, before the evil of a nightmare on Elm Street, before them all, there was now. Later, he's back. Oh, yes. There's something happening here that I've been looking for all of my life. There's smoke. Someone takes her hand. She's running. The same man comes towards her. All right, and there you have it. That's the trailer for that. So since we were kind of on the subject there, uh, Smoke, what were your initial reactions upon watching this back when you saw it in the theater and, you know, the number of times you've seen it since? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a nice little homage or throwback to the 50s and early 60s type of filmmaking that uh, like the gimmicky type stuff where they, you know, some of the stuff that's in this movie is bla- is just right out of William those Castle. movies. William Castle, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That uh, he would like rig seats with like little electric shockers and 3D or shock vision glasses and all this. He had all these different gimmicks and watching that, you know, made me think of those, even though, of course, I wasn't born then. But I remember even in the 80s, they would have those, you know, all kind of different gimmicks on TV. Go to go to the pantry or 7-Eleven, pick up your 3D glasses and watch uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D on whatever channel at a certain time. Yeah, Those type of gimmicky type things were fun back then and you know they don't really do those anymore of course but, but uh it was a nice little throwback to that and i enjoyed that aspect of it and uh 
even even within the movie, it's kind of a throwback to those types of fifties movies. Some of the soundtrack, uh, the setup of some of the scenes and everything. So yeah, I really enjoyed it then and now. Well, what about you? This being the first time, I thought I thought the movie was decent. I, I definitely thought that there was like a couple of scenes like throughout the movie where there was there was something to it. You know, more than just you know like cheesy you know like early 90s uh horror but overall i thought i thought it was decent i could definitely see a movie like this getting remade and maybe doing a little something you know in a wide release i could i mean like especially now that we kind of live in the age of reboots and remakes i could definitely see eventually somebody getting a hold of this and and remaking it but uh i would imagine they wouldn't make it with the same personal touch as this movie gets especially for the time period you know with the the practical effects and all that kind of stuff, you know, that they, that that's in this movie. If you, if you do this today, you know, what's going to happen. It's going to be CGI. Probably some of those practical effects really make it too. some of those. Yeah. As we get into the movie and everything, that little, that, you know, just the stretchy face stuff. (laughs) I don't know without any better way to explain it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) The faces, the the latex, you know, stuff pulling apart and everything. Yeah. Very, uh, not, it's not a body horror movie by any means, but there is that aspect to some of the effects <laughs> so in that regard it's a little bit of a throwback especially even even when this was made and, and when this came out in 1991 you know things were starting to shift away from practical effects so in, in that regard this is probably one of the i wouldn't say one of the last but it was definitely at the tail end of a of an era of a an era in, yeah. in movies in movie making and in horror in particular you know after this a lot of stuff became cgi and, and you know and, 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 and for a lot of reasons that we've talked about before, why this stuff doesn't uh, interpret so well when you're watching it now, 20, 25 years later, some of that stuff to the mid to late 90s looks like shit, you know, now. Yeah, because it's just the, the amount of, you know, leaps and bounds they make with uh, technology when it comes to digital formats, you know, digital effects yeah. and everything. I mean, you yeah, watched but, it back then and you're like, yeah, this is kind of cool, you know. And then, yeah, you see it now and you're like, this is the cheesiest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> but because of that, it hasn't, a lot of that stuff hasn't aged as well. No. Where at, uh, something like this, yeah, you get like a really like good remastered copy of it on Blu-ray or something like that. It still holds up and it still looks really good because it's practical effects as opposed to the the, the digital stuff uh, of just a few years after this. It just doesn't hold up as well when you look back on it. But I, I know the limitations, of course, of stop motion when it comes to doing creatures and things. But I still like <laughs> that look of some of those stop motion effects over some of the overly digitized and I could actually see, be in the moment <laughs> and more so with some of those stop motion effects than I can with super CG effects everywhere that kind of takes you out of it. In other words, I could say, you know, something like some of the transformer type stuff that just puts you into, you might as well just be watching a cartoon at a certain point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or computer animation. Uh, but that's me. I mean, that's just, I, I do think there's a fine line between personal taste and whether something looks good or not, you know? And like, and, and I think a lot of this type of stuff holds up better, especially now when everything's so crystal clear HD and everything oh, that yeah. you can see, that you can see a lot of the mistakes and all that stuff. It seems to me, you can see it more with the, you know, the old CGI. It stands out more an annoyance when you're watching it. Like, oh man, this just looks like crap. I can't get past it, you know. Yeah. As opposed well, to these the kind ones of movies. for me also that kind of that sort of push what's the word that have those old digital effects that I can I I can get behind or whatever something like Tron <laughs> where the effects were actually part of the movie. The whole '80s aspect of it, you know, is is yeah. inherent in the movie. So it's like it doesn't take me out of it. Those are digital effects, yeah, they're very primitive. They're some of the first digital effects, and that's 1982. I can enjoy it on that level of it. And same thing with, like, Last Starfighter. Those are early digital effects, too. That I love that movie. I can watch that over and over again, and the digital doesn't really take me out of it. 
because it's part of a video game within the movie. So it kind of fits and that that makes it sort of, I guess, gives it longevity, you know, whereas some of those earlier digital effects where it was something like, uh, I'm trying to think of pre-Jurassic Park. I can't think of the movie now that I'm on the tip of my tongue. Those types of creature effects that are like blatantly digital and very behind the times now, I can, almost can't watch them. Yeah, but like I said, I can go back and watch Tron or Last Starfighter over and over and over again, even though they're primitive effects. But that that being said, going back to popcorn, this particular movie, I could see a big difference between the quality of that remaster, mm -hmm. you know, like that that someone put on YouTube with the commentary, versus like the VHS versus that like DVD copy. Yeah, the quality of that 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 remaster, man, like it looks like a complete it, it looks like a completely different movie. Uh, yeah, quality sure that's got to be probably that one that I'm guessing that's a synapse one that they put up there. Probably, probably, probably. I mean, it, it looks a hundredfold better in that remaster than it does in you know the old one. And I know that's the case in a lot of these, but you really see it in this one. Um, yeah. As I sit there and watch the whole movie and then watch it again like that, you can really. I mean, like there were certain things I couldn't even see very well in the you know in that old <laughs> in that old dub. Uh, that I could see, you know, like, oh, you know, with the with the remaster, I was like, oh, well, that that's what happened. OK, you know, <laughs> and, but we'll get into Especially some of those scenes in the theaters, you know, because it's in a dark theater. Yeah. So yeah. the contrast level between VHS versus that remaster Blu-ray. Yeah, you can definitely see. Not, to mention, got, to, not to mention, to be fair, God knows how many generation loss dubs that was, you know, that I watched that somebody, you know, loaded up on YouTube and that or the one that I had downloaded years ago, you know, like that wasn't even really a great copy compared to what it would be on just a regular DVD or something. I guess my initial reactions were about the same, you know, as, as Will's like, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I loved it, but I enjoyed it for what it was. And uh, I definitely could appreciate the time period and everything and the practical effects and all that. So I would definitely sit down. I mean, I watched it twice for this, you know, for this show. Mm. Um, I would, def I would definitely sit down and watch it again. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's uh, a good enough grade on it right there. But we'll get into our star ratings and stuff at the end. I guess we'll go ahead and get into the background. Like I said, this movie was released February 1st, 1991. So we're just a little past the 30th anniversary of its release. And it was released by, or it was made by Movie Partners slash Century Films. I believe Century Films was like a Jamaican movie company. And then it was distributed by Studio 3 Film Corporation, which I think was kind of like a joint you know, venture between this uh, movie partners and century films. I think I'd also saw somewhere where like, basically this was the first feature film released by movie partners. So of course the name of the movie is popcorn, but th there's a couple other alternate, uh, alternate titles that I found uh, in the U S festival circuit uh, and, and in Finland, this movie is known as phantom of the cinema, which I think is probably honestly a more appropriate name <laughs> yeah, for this yeah. movie. <laughs> in Germany, the title is known as Skinner, which I think there was another movie named Skinner. Yeah, right? yeah, there is. I know. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure there is a Skinner, and I can't remember who was in it or what it was. And I know there was like Skinned Alive. <laughs> it was another like '87, one of those really low budget horror movies from the late '80s, in deep or something like that too. <laughs> as far as far as what the movie is about, frankly, like uh, Phantom of the Cinema or Skinner make more sense than Popcorn. Although I thought I thought I saw somewhere, you know, in my looking up stuff in the background and all that, that apparently the name Popcorn came from something that was cut out of the movie. Like apparently there was some little subplot or something that had to do with Popcorn that just got cut out of the movie. And then and then like the name stuck and they're like, you know what? We like the we like the name. Let's just keep it. 
you know, <laughs> even though like this direct reference to why it's called that is gone. <laughs> but, you know, I guess they left enough in there, uh, left enough in it with, you know, the whole theme of the movie being in a theater. You know, it all makes sense still. Right. And uh, the movie was rated R with a total runtime of one hour and 31 minutes on IMDb. It's listed as comedy slash horror. Which that's probably about right as far as the order of it, right? Comedy and then horror. I mean, <laughs> there's yeah. definitely a lot of aspects of both in there for sure. Oh yeah. On IMDb, it got a rating of five point nine out of ten. So that that's a pretty fair rating. And and I uh, when I listened to the the commentary, I believe it was the director uh, Mark Harrier, who was uh, part of the you know there was him and a few other cast members, and then like someone from like a a horror website or magazine or something that was like the moderator of this thing. Uh, I think it was uh, Mark Harrier that said that like, apparently at the time critics gave it pretty positive reviews, but for whatever reason, it just, you know, I, I guess maybe it was because it was lost in the time of year that it came out in February or whatever the reasons were like, it just financially just didn't do anything. It, it, the worldwide gross, which was basically the U S domestic gross, since I don't think it really got a release anywhere else. It only made four point two million, and uh, honestly, it made it made uh, most of that like opening weekend, uh, at least according to Box Office Mojo, where I usually look up the you know the box office numbers. It opened up number ten that weekend of uh, for that week, I should say, of February first to the second, or I'm sorry, February first to the seventh. So it gives like the week long totals. It opened up number ten, and it made just a little over three million like that first week. So most of its money came in that one week, and then I'm sure it played another week or two, and then it was gone. But as we usually do, I'll go ahead and give out the top 10 that particular week when it came out. Now, that was basically the best movie that opened that week, and that was at number 10. Number 9, The Grifters. Number 8, Hamlet. Number 7, Kindergarten Cop. Number 6, It's not a tumor. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs> number six green card number five once around number four awakenings number three white fang number two dances with wolves and then number one home alone which was in its 12th week and was still raking in the dough <laughs> Damn. uh it was now it only made 9.8 million that week but up to that date it had already made over 215 million dollars so Home Alone was still killing it at the box office when this came out. And so was that. still made with, well more than Popcorn did, I guess, in its 12th week. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it made uh, double. Yeah, uh, no, triple the money, basically, <laughs> that Popcorn did in its first week, in its, tw in its 12th week. And Dances with Wolves at number three, it was in its 13th week. And uh, it made just a little over $6 million that weekend for a total at that point of a little over $100 million. So... Those were clearly the two big dogs that particular week in 1991, Home Alone and Dances with Wolves. So that's always cool to look back on, you know, to see what it was kind of up against. So I'm sure that had a little bit to do with it. Plus, you know, horror movies this that time of year, you know, probably aren't going to get the uh, the box that it would have got, say, in October, right? You wouldn't think. It might have done a little better and, there. And I remember it even just the early 90s in general just were not a kind time for horror. <laughs> As far as box office, no, well, the whole—I'd say the whole '90s period, right, wasn't yeah, necessarily yeah. A, a favorable well, period yeah. for horror. Once you get to the tail end, I guess you started getting into those, well, sort of coincidentally or uncoincidentally, whatever the William Castle type remakes, right? Like Thirteen yeah. Ghosts, and, uh, House yeah. of Hill, and all that. Kind of revived it a little bit. Whatever you think of those, you know, some people hate those movies, others don't. But I mean, it did kind of give it that revival at the end of the uh, end of the I, '90s, like. 
I don't have any of this in front of me, like as far as numbers or anything like that. But wouldn't you think Scream would probably be the most successful? Probably, yeah. From yeah. the '90s, and that that probably kind of kickstarted it right there. Yeah, you know, there, yeah. there was probably that there was probably that four or five year kind of dead period where there wasn't really that much. There was there was some stuff, but not as much. And yeah. then Scream comes along, kind of rejuvenates it, and then, like you said, leads into those those movies you just talked about. So that yeah, that was and probably. Uh, the Ring wasn't that was that that was into the nineties, right? Hail uh, in the nineties. Well, the well, the, now or, the, the the Japanese what you are, the, I think. Yeah, I think that was. I think that was like ninety eight or ninety nine. But I think those that American remake. I I want. I'm pretty South. sure that was after two thousand. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Uh, this movie I couldn't find a budget anywhere. Although I, I I can't imagine that the budget was very you know was very huge for this I, I, I wouldn't imagine at all but it was filmed in kingston jamaica almost the entire movie was filmed in kingston jamaica there were some scenes apparently like some uh some like all the post-production and some minor scenes were done in toronto canada after the fact but i think pretty much all principal photography was done in kingston jamaica and uh, which would explain the random reggae band and some of the reggae music that's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I heard something about that. That that, that band wasn't even going to be in the movie, but they, some of the filmmakers saw them performing somewhere and wanted yeah, them to that, be in the movie. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise. Especially, it's also funny that like the whole movie, and they point this out in the commentary. It's supposed to be in like L.A., like in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But then they leaned into the reggae band thing and kind of, you know, <laughs> gave away where this movie was shot. Um, <laughs> but it was actually shot from October 16th, 1989 to December 19th, 1989. So give or take about two months, late 1989. But we didn't see, you know, this movie didn't actually come out until February of 91. I think they said it did play like in 90. It's like some festivals or something like that. But yeah, it was uh, well over a year later by the time this thing actually got released. So it was produced. I, I thought this was a, a. There's a couple of connections to some other movies that we oh, have yeah. <laughs> we, that we have talked about and watched before here on the show. But uh, an uncredited producer on this movie was Bob Clark. Now Bob Clark, remember, if you'll recall, directed Black Christmas, the you know the the original that we've watched here on the Spook Show, and he also uh, did a Christmas Story. Uh, Porky's. Porky's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's there's a, a f more than a few connections to Porky's in this movie, too, by the way. Bob Clark passed away April 4th, 2007. Now, there's another little interesting tidbit to this movie. It was directed by... The, the, it was directed by Mark Harrier, who actually, like, really didn't do anything else, like, as far as directing or writing anything like... or, or anything like that. But he played Billy in the Porky's movies. So like I think it's like three or four Porky's movies. He's one of the stars of those movies. And he's the guy that Bob Clark brought in to direct it after the original director got fired. The original director was Alan Ormsby. And uh, they yeah. actually, they actually, now he's uncredited as the director in this because like apparently he shot the movie for about three or four weeks. Uh, there was quote unquote the old creative differences line basically between him and Bob Clark. Bob Clark basically took over the directing duty, duties for like a week or two before they brought Mark Harrier in to kind of clean up and fix it and make it what it is today. So really there was two directors, technically two and a half if you count like whatever Bob Clark contributed to the whole call. Oh, yeah. And Bob um, Clark and Alan Ornsby have been, know, knew each other and were worked together in the past, I know, too. 
And I think uh, Alan Ornsby wrote the story for the popcorn. He, and then we definitely actually, have to get to some of his movies, too, because <laughs> he's got some real... I mean, just he didn't direct a whole lot, but he did write a whole lot, and he acted in them. And, like, like again, they were kind of some of the same movies that Bob Clark did back in the 70s and 80s. But Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, that's when we got we to gotta get to that sometime soon. And Death Dream. and Yeah, I saw, like, he did uh, Cat People. Oh, it, was, oh you mean the, the remake he had a hand in? Uh, which was the one, I can't remember exactly what, it was in the 80s, I believe, Cat People. Yeah, I think it's 80, um, I forget, two, 82 or 3 or somewhere in there. Yeah. Now, in this movie, though, if you're looking at the credits, uh, I don't think you see Alan Ormsby's name. Like I said, he's the uncredited, you know, kind of half director or whatever. You know, I can't even remember it. if he was credited as a writer, was he? Do you remember? Well, he, I didn't yeah. look, actively look for the writer credit or not. He, I know he, he was. He was, he but was, okay. as a... Yeah, but they gave him a different name. They uh-huh. didn't credit him as Alan Ormsby. They credited him as Todd Hackett. So I, <laughs> Todd I, Hackett. Yeah. <laughs> so when you see, like, written by Todd Hackett, that's Alan Ormsby. So I, I don't know. Apparently, like, they had some falling out, and, like, apparently they 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 were done with each other after that, too, like I saw. Like, they pretty much never spoke to each other again after after whatever the hell happened between them when they were making this. Like I said, that they always give you the old creative difference line, but obviously that it sounds like it kind of got personal. <laughs> and uh, even when you're listening to the uh, commentary and Mark Harrier's talking for the longest time, it was almost like he was going out of his way not to say his name, not to say Alan Ormsby's name. Eventually, he did, <laughs> and he kind like towards the end of the commentary, he kind of gives the story a little bit. But uh, yeah, he just says he just basically throughout a, a big portion of the commentary, he's kind of like, yeah, that other director. You know, <laughs> the other guy, blah, blah, blah. And uh, basically kind of the conclusion I got, too, is that, like, whatever he was doing on it was horrible, except for the movie within the movie stuff, because apparently uh, Alan Ormsby did all that. He directed yeah. all, you know, the the Mosquito and uh, the Electrified Man and the, <laughs> the Stench that we'll get into, those little mini movies. He, apparently he directed all those. And then, like, when Mark Harrier comes in, he's like, yeah, these are awesome. I don't need to touch these. But the rest of this stuff is just, it's just bad. We need to reshoot it. And, and then I'm not necessarily sure what the order of things and, and necessarily why, but that, that leads me to the other thing that I'll bring up. The lead actress in this, Maggie, is played by Jill Scolan. Now, she was not the original Maggie. There was, there was another lady cast, and it was Amy O'Neill. Amy O'Neill uh, was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you know, like a couple years before this. Uh, she's like the the I guess like the older daughter of uh you know Rick Moranis and Honey I Shrunk the Kids. She was Maggie for like the first couple of weeks I guess during while Ormsby is the director and I guess around the same time they let her they let her go and like I never could find out the specific reasons there like whether it was just like yeah we just don't like the way she's gelling here or maybe Mark Harrier wanted to come in and just he he didn't like her performance and wanted to, I, I'm not sure the reasons there. But she she left too, like pretty much right at the same time. And then Jill Scolan comes in, and uh, you know the rest is history. But they did uh, they did point out in the commentary though that uh, Amy O'Neill was still in this movie. You know that one scene where it's like a montage, like all right, we're going to set up the theater for uh, this horrorthon, right? And then they kind of do the montage scene where they're cleaning stuff up and all that. And you see them like pulling the uh, dust covers off of all the seats in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't reshoot any of that. She's still in the, <laughs> she's still in there, like in the little montage thing, like pulling all the dust covers off of the seats. 
Um, and, and if you're looking and you know exactly what to look for, it's funny too because like you know she's she's got blonde hair. She's dressed exactly like Jill Scolan, you know her version of Maggie, right? The, the way she's dressed, except she's got blonde hair, and you can see her like picking up the dust covers and you know <laughs> with everybody else. But it's a complete, wearing the same clothes, but a completely different hair color, a completely different person. I guess they figured nobody would, you know, it's such a quick montage type of deal. Nobody would probably really notice it. So, you know, let's not let's not reshoot it. Let's just go with what we got, you know. But uh, apparently also I saw that like Jill Scolan didn't really do a whole lot of this movie with the rest of the cast because a lot of this stuff was shot before they brought her in. So they kind of just reshot the scenes where they needed to with her. And then a lot of the stuff that was already in the can, they just went with it. So she didn't really interact with a lot of the cast of this movie because she came in so late into the production. As far as Jill Scolan is concerned, you, you may recall she was in The Stepfather. I think that was like a few years before this. She was in that old Brad Pitt movie, Cutting Class. She was in The Phantom of the Opera, the one from 1989 with Robert Englund. She was in Curse 2, The Bite. So, you know, as far as in the horror circles, she is definitely a recognizable face. This also stars Tom Villard as Toby. He's kind of the nerdy guy that like runs the projection booth and everything and then eventually you know spoiler alert you know you, you find out that like he's kind of the dude behind this he would he would best be known as he had a role in heartbreak ridge he was in my girl you know that macaulay culkin uh movie from the early 90s he was in that movie in the early 80s called parasite and uh he was also in a sitcom in the 80s called we got it made which was like uh i'm not sure exactly what network that was on but i think it eventually became like syndicated or something and uh that ran for a couple seasons um, so he's definitely a recognizable face from the 80, from the 80s. And, uh, but uh, unfortunately, he actually passed away uh, November 14th of 1994 from uh, AIDS-related pneumonia. He, he actually had AIDS. And when they were talking about this in the commentary, they said they shot the movie for a couple weeks with Mark Harrier. And then he actually came to him and told him that he'd just recently been diagnosed with AIDS. And, uh, you know, I guess to kind of put out there that, you know, there, there might be some physical limitations. And I want you to, you know, he wanted him to know that, like, he would still do his best no matter what, you know, that was going on with him. But, yeah, like, as you're watching this movie, he, he's suffering from uh, from AIDS, and which eventually got him just a few, you know, what, about four years later after they made this movie. So, which I, I in this movie, I thought he, uh, you know, once he kind of makes that flip and you see that he's kind of the bad guy, I thought he did a great job in this movie myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The movie also stars D. Wallace as Suzanne. Now, I th by my count, I think this is the third D. Wallace movie we've done. <laughs> it now, might, she, might, she might. She's up there probably as far her and Gene Simmons maybe. Yeah. Are up there now, with the. Uh, I might be forgetting one, but like, so we got popcorn now. We watched Critters, and remember she was uh, in uh, God Almighty that last Rob Zombie movie we. Uh, not the Devil's Rejects. What was it? Three from Hell. She was. Oh, yeah. in, she was. She was in Three from Hell. So by my count, we've watched three of her movies here on the Spook Show. So, yeah, well, I, I think we've mentioned it before. We need to keep a running tally of some of these ones that reoccur a yeah. little bit more than others. <laughs> not, so you know, far, maybe not. Not including the Conjuring universe, maybe because then you're going to just get you know <laughs> tons of the same people. Yeah, yeah, Vera Farmiga and uh, that. Yeah. Uh, what's it, the other guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, older, you know, some of the cold wait, hold, films. Uh, hold on for a second. What movies did you say? Uh, for D. Wallace. Yeah. Critters, of course, this popcorn, and then Three from Hell. Apparently, she was in the Halloween 2007. Yeah, we have. We, yeah, but we haven't watched that one yet, though. Oh, I thought that was one of the ones we did. Now I remember we did the one, the newer one from uh, what was that 2018? 
you know the yeah, the, okay. the most the most right. recent reboot. She's been in a ton of stuff though, man. Like these. My point is, is these these may buy these might be the first three movies, but these ain't gonna be the last. There's gonna be a ton of her movies that we'll get around to as time oh, goes yeah. on. But because I, I think like, Gene Simmons, I think he's been three. I think we got three for him. I think it was uh, Trick or Treat, right? Trick or Treat. We did uh, yeah. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. What was the uh, the transvestite one? <laughs> Star <laughs> Grove. Ragnar. Yeah, yeah. Star Grove. <laughs> <laughs> Never too young to die. Never, yeah, that's. <laughs> <one of those. laughs> How could you ever forget? <laughs> that that one still boggles. Never can remember the title or something. The, the one thing I'll never forget about that for as long as we do this podcast is the fact that, like, somehow that damn movie had escaped all three of us for, like, 35 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. How the hell How the hell does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. And of the three of us, I was the one that discovered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you accidentally tripped on it when you decided to go with it. That one will stick out in uh, Spook Show history for sure. Yeah. My one contribution. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. You got more than that. I mean, there's, yeah. there's at least Turn of the Living one. Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, on uh, for D. Wallace, like uh, on IMDb, she's got like, uh, hold on, she's got 255 acting credits, <laughs> and, and 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 like that's a ton of credits considering she's been doing it since 1974. Yeah, I, that's a long time, but like. There are people that have been acting that we've done, you know, since like the 40s or 50s that don't even have this many damn acting credits. So <laughs> she stays busy and she's she's had a small role in just about every major television show of the last 40 years, too. Like, you know, she's made a cameo appearance or whatever. Tons of movies. Who else can we mention here? We got uh, Derek Rydell as Mark. Uh, he, he, you know, he's he's the guy that's kind of on again, off again with Maggie throughout the movie. You know, <laughs> I love his introduction too. He's just straight up. Like, I need you right now. <laughs> no, you're not putting out peace. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. He's just, uh, he, he, he's introduced as the world's biggest douchebag, And then he ends up being the hero of the movie. Right. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Malcolm Denaire is Bud. Elliot Hurst is Leon. Yvette Solar is Joni. Freddie Simpson is Tina. Kelly Jo Mentor is Cheryl. Now she she's recognizable to horror fans because she was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Five, The Dream Child. She was in the people the people under the stairs. Summer school. Yeah, <laughs> the Lost Boys, and of course, summer school. Uh, which I think, for whatever reason, we had some connection to that movie before too, right? Didn't we? There was something else that we. Oh, did. summer school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, other yeah, than we were talking just, about it for something. Yeah, yeah. Other hell, than we, us we just talking we about to do that on a show at some point. I don't, even though it's not technically horror, it's got the characters Chainsaw and Dave, you yeah. know, the horror <laughs> fans of the movie. And there's some scenes that involve special effects and some horror related things because of them. But damn it, we need to do that on a show. I don't care if it's not horror. I, not. I think you said once that like basically that was your, uh, that was <laughs> yeah. you, right? <laughs> Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Karen Laurie is Joy. She's she's the bitch that. Uh, you know, is on with uh that comes with Mark and then <laughs> basically dumps him for just some random dude that sits <laughs> that just sits down beside her and starts <laughs> feeling her up. And then there's a like a, a very brief uh role by Ray Walston. It's a weird thing to pronounce. Like his name is like uh Dr. Manison, I think it is or whatever. And apparently like they said even he had a problem pronouncing it, you know, in that day or two that he was there to do it. Like <laughs> They said like they'd have to do take after take because they couldn't quite say it right. He would probably best be known from that old show back in what was it, like the '60s. My favorite Martian. Tons of movies and stuff. I mean, over the years, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
the Sting. He was in that uh, Robin Williams Popeye. <laughs> There's another connection with uh, Shelley Duvall. Right? <laughs> I think we yeah. talked about that before. <laughs> the class teacher, the professor, whatever, Mr. Davis, that was played by mm-hmm. Tony Roberts. It was in a, a, a ton of movies back in the 70s, uh, including the taking, the taking of Pelham 123, Serpico, Annie Hall. I think he was like one of those Woody Allen guys for a while there, you know, in a lot of those movies. So, yeah, I mean, a, a pretty a pretty solid cast, you know, for this type of movie um, and a lot of connections to other horror movies and stuff like that that I'm sure we'll get around to eventually. So I, I, that's really all I had. Uh, did you guys find anything else before we get into the movie itself? Well, since we're talking about credits, there's one that I didn't know was involved in this movie at all until I was reading the IMDb credits. And I still can't figure out exactly why he, he would be. But uh Sean Costello is an associate producer, and uh, he, he went by, apparently, the pseudonym according to IMDb is War- Warren Evans. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean Costello is, uh, <laughs> let's see, I mean, if you, if you look on IMDb, he's got, like, I don't know, 100, and, no, he's got, as a director, 67 credits. Well, I don't know how many of those are, but probably the majority are all porno movies from the 70s, <laughs> the 80s, a lot of them are. Some notorious ones, too, like, uh, I'll just throw out some titles, Forced Entry. And water right. power. Ah, uh, yeah. Now I'm not going to go into what the <laughs> the premise of those movies are. Look them up, but I'm still I, trying I can, to figure out how he's connected <laughs> to this movie. <laughs> I can only imagine what the synopsis <laughs> is for water power. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. You you can imagine it, but you might still be a little bit shy of it. Okay, you know, I'll, you're probably. I'll, right. I'll, I'll give a little bit away. It's based on a true story. Oh <laughs> God. And then, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into the whole thing of it. I'll just give you. A, the name of the guy it's based on, or at least his pseudonym. He was known as the Enema Bandit. Okay. Well, oh, there <laughs> so there's you your homework, people. Go Google the Enema Bandit and find out about water powering Sean Costello. That's the. Uh, I'm not going to go into it any further than that. I know a few guys that might be into that kind of thing, and I'm not going to go any further than that. That that's interesting. So, <laughs> hey, you never you never know what you might find out here on the Spook Show. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, really, with this kind of movie, it shouldn't surprise you that there's some connection to. <laughs> Not that this is an overly sexual movie. Frankly, this isn't even a gory movie at all, right? No, no actually, uh, we, well, I, we'll probably get into that too. But I remember, I mean, the, the, they were they were expecting it to be a PG movie or at least a PG thirteen movie. I could when they were see making. That. Yeah, and I, for whatever, and he said, I forget who it was. Now I think it was the director. I saw in an interview saying that it uh, they expected the PG thirteen, but they were given the R and and that they weren't. Not that this movie is to be compared to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but it kind of reminded me when John McNaughton was talking about the MPAA when he, you know, turned in Henry's Portrait of a Serial Killer for them to review it. That they told him that they couldn't, he could, there was nothing he could cut out of the movie to make it an R rating. He was trying to go for an R rating. That 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 the overall tone of the movie was so dark that he couldn't get anything. He couldn't get an R. But basically, I guess when they submitted popcorn, they according to the director, that they couldn't get a PG-13 movie because of the tone of the film. Yeah, but they, even... Let them know that there was any, you know, there was no, again, the same type of thing. They, you couldn't really cut it. It's just going to be R. You can't get anything else under that. And it, it was even pointed out in the commentary when I was watching it that the word fuck is only, is only said once in this entire movie. Yeah. And that was when, like, uh, there's, like, that throwaway line w- with one of the uh, ladies in there where she's like, men... Uh, and God admit it, you fucked up or something like, you know, something along those lines. Right. That's, that's the only F word. And there's really, I mean, if you think about it, there's not that much cussing at all in this movie. 
No, I mean, there's not really that much gore either. I mean, there's some not really effects we talked about were more not necessarily like blood flowing type effects. They were latex appliance type things, but not necessarily a lot of blood. What's the worst thing you see, you know, without going too hard into the movie yet? The two mosquito scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the hardest thing you see in the whole thing. Well, I I mean, somebody did blow up the bathroom. (laughs) I, I still don't know what the hell happened there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that here in a second. Any, anything else you guys want to point out before we get into it? Uh, have y'all ever heard of? I, I'm probably going to murder this name, Jose Mojica Marin. Marins? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the Brazilian uh, filmmaker that made uh, was it Midnight and uh, at Midnight I'll Take Your Soul, and Coffin Joe films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, those those classics. <laughs> well, apparently that's uh, who Lanyard Gates is loosely based off of. Huh. Just kind of that weirdo, uh, what they say, avant-garde. Uh, <laughs> what what did he say, uh, the, Mr. Davis or whatever? It's like where they all. Uh, what did he say he's, in the movies? Like where they all sit around and pinch each other on film or something like that, and and they call it art. <laughs> something weird. Yeah. No, I'd never heard of the guy, but yeah, I mean, that's another one. I mean, what the maybe? I mean, not that we get into the whole series. He's got a whole slew of movies out, but at least one of the Coffin Joe films we should do at some point. It, I've never seen any of those, but in the periphery, I have heard of the Coffin Joe films, but I've never, like I said, I've never watched them. So yeah, he's I'm got a solid one in the horror community, at least in the, you know, foreign, foreign horror type community. Mm. And stuff. Just the character of Coffin Joe, apparently in Brazil is, is, a, is a cultural figure down there. I mean, he created the character, but it became like, it went beyond the films and sort yeah. of became like a sort of a boogeyman thing too. The parents would tell the kids, oh, behave or Coffin Joe's going to get you. <laughs> Why fuss and fret about dinner? Why not have it right here? Yes, this drive-in offers everyone in the family a real picnic treat for dinner. We've got delicious sandwiches with all the trimmings and your other dinner favorites, plus whatever you want to drink, hot or cold. Come early before the show starts, or eat while you're being entertained, or at intermission time. So why fuss? Give your family a tasty dinner at this drive-in. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Like we said before, you know, like, basically, you, you use that link to, uh, to sign up. You get, they give you a credit once you sign up. You can take that credit and get yourself a book. And then if you decide, like, you know what, I can't afford this or this, you know, I'm not going to use this enough. This isn't for me. You can... Uh, you can cancel it, but you get to keep that one book that you got with that credit. So, you know, it helps us out. You get a free audio book out of it. Win-win. If you just go and type in horror on Audible, you'll find thousands of, uh, ex- you know, examples on there of, of uh, really good audio books. I just typed it in. And I'll, I'll pull up a few here. Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chabowski. That one's uh, about 24 and a half hours long. Uh, let's see. Year's Best Hardcore Horror, Volume 1. That one's a little, uh, almost 10 hours long uh, by uh, various authors, including Cheryl Mullinax, Randy Chandler, uh, Yard Work by David Kep. Uh, that one is actually an Audible original. You know, you can only listen to it on Audible. And there's a lot of that kind of cool stuff on there, too, like Lock and Key. Um, that's like the, uh, I guess, like the graphic novel, the comic. Uh, that's like an audio version of that. That's over almost 13 and a half hours long. Cool stuff like that that you can listen to on Audible. Um, you know, the, all kind, all kinds of examples of stuff. So uh, to download your free audiobook today, 
go to audibletrial.com slash spook show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spook show for your free audio book. I guess with all that out of the way, we'll go ahead and uh, get into the movie itself. It starts with like this weird dream sequence, like Maggie's sleeping and she's having these weird dreams. It's like this little girl running around, this guy's chasing her and stuff like this. You know, you see stuff on fire, some, some weird images and shit, just random, right? To start the movie off with. So you're instantly tossed in like, what the hell is going on here, right? Also, I've, I thought it was funny in the commentary thing. They said that like uh, Jill Skolan actually fell asleep shooting these scenes you know, where she's she's laying in bed and she's supposed to be asleep, <laughs> like dreaming these things. Like apparently like she was she was she, she was like legit really tired and kept falling asleep. And they kept having to wake her up to. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what you call a method acting. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think they even said that in the commentary, too. It's like, <laughs> so you were method acting. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, so then right after this you're introduced to uh suzanne d wallace's character who, who's the mom she gets a phone call <laughs> and like instantly like you are the possessed come with me to the ninth circle of hell and she just kind of like huh and then hangs up the phone <laughs> i'd be like my son i'd be like what the hell is this you know but she didn't really seem like, like wow this is pretty thought out this is the coolest fucking prank call i've ever gotten <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so right after that uh, maggie goes to school and this is where you're introduced to mark <laughs> like i said before like he just walks up to her and is like maggie i need you right now <laughs> no i can't i gotta focus on my uh, i'm writing a script all right then fuck off and then just <laughs> <laughs> he's introduced as the biggest piece of shit horn dog in movie history you know right <laughs> right out the gates so then she goes to her, her film class and all of them agree to do this uh horathon they've got this they've got this whole uh scheme like, all right, so to raise money for the class, we're going to do this, like, three-movie horror-thon, uh, but they're all, it's all going to be with gimmicks. So, like, uh, you know, the, the one movie, like, will be Electric Shock. One movie will, will have smells, you know, and so on. So they, they decide to do this, and they, and they get this guy, Dr. M, Dr. Manison, to show up to kind of, like, all right, here's all the props and stuff that we used to use when we did this back in the day. So then there's this whole like five minute long clean up, you know, clean up set up montage <laughs> where they're they're setting up cleaning up the theater and setting it up and there's like some random reggae music. But no, I think it's like the Saturday night at the movies. Yeah, the reggae uh, version. That's a cool Yeah. Album. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 I guess it's the time period and everything, but it's definitely out of place. You know, yeah, like yeah. So, when I'm watching this the first time, I didn't realize that this movie was filmed in Kingston, Jamaica. You know, something. Yeah, I didn't like, either. When I first saw it in the theater, I was thinking, well, there's an awful lot of reggae and things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, then your average movie of the 90s or whatever, horror movie especially. <laughs> Somebody was really into reggae. I'm surprised UB40 didn't show up. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing missing. No, I, th I, think, they ha I think the name of this uh, reggae band, if I'm not mistaken, I think it, the name of them was Chalice. What's the name of the band that you see on the stage? Oh yeah, you know what you know what Chalice is in Jamaica in Jamaican uh, terminology. No, it's a, basically a vessel for smoking weed out of, basically a pipe or whatever you want to smoke <laughs> weed out of. That's what well, it is. It makes sense. I mean, this is Jamaica, so right. So like, <laughs> I, I didn't like know the name of the band, but when you said it, I'm like, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And here comes the band Bong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly socially acceptable in Jamaica, I'm sure. <laughs> and and expected in Jamaica. <laughs> and we just lost our one straight-edge Jamaican. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's a... No, no, I don't want to offend anymore, Mick. I was going to say there is one straight-edge Jamaican. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there goes our second one. 
<laughs> so when they're looking through this stuff, like, you know, that uh, Dr. M had brought for them to set up, they find a short film in a can. It's just like, do not open or whatever. Of course, they open it up. And it's a short film called Possessor. So they put it on, and then, like, as it turns out, it's like the same shit that Maggie keeps seeing in her dreams. So then, of course, uh, Mr. Davis, the, the professor, uh, he knows exactly all about this. <laughs> out of the blue, like, oh, yeah, this, oh, is, yeah. That, this is that guy, Lanyard Gates, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we get the backstory of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of the, that's the thing about this movie that got me. A lot of the things that shouldn't make any sense, they do a pretty good job of explaining. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, like, yeah. This is this is over the top. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? The way they're framing it and the way they're explaining it, <laughs> it it works. You know, <laughs> like zany college kids. Even even the fact that this 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 doctor this Mister Davis knows so much about Lanyard Gates and knows all about what happened, right? Like that's random. But he is a college professor, so it makes sense. Right. <laughs> that he would know all these things. So apparently, like this guy, Lanyard Gates, back in the, you know, 15, 20 years prior, had made this movie Possessor and didn't Water finish the no, sorry, Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> he had made this movie Possessor and then like he didn't finish it and he finished the film like live on stage and apparently like shot and killed his uh, 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 some of his family and then like burned the theater down and just killed everybody. So he just went, you know, AWOL, right? So then Maggie comes home to tell Suzanne about this, who's instantly, like, weird about it. Did anybody else get, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street vibes from this? Like, you know, just the setup and the way yeah. this is playing with the parents and everything. It's, like, it's almost the exactly, exactly the same kind of story thread, right? Like, yeah. clearly, like, the mom knows something about it, but she's hiding it, is the point. Then Suzanne, later on that night, gets a phone call. Another one of these weirdo phone calls. You know, the nice circle of hell. And then basically tells her, like, come to the theater tonight. Bring your gun. <laughs> so, of course, she goes to the theater. And as with she's walking gun. up, yeah, with the gun. Clearly, I've got the gun in my hand. I'm going to wave it around as I walk into this place, right? You know, like, that's, that's what you do when you have a gun, is you just hold it up in the air. You know, for everyone to know that you've got a gun. She walks up to the theater and like the marquee letters, it's got all the, you know, sci-fi horror-thon tonight or whatever the hell it said. They all start flying off and flying at her. And then magically the word possessor comes up on the marquee. Eventually she goes inside and kind of like you hear some things and you see some, see some people like running around and, you know, there's stuff going on. She pulls the gun out and like shoots somebody dead. <laughs> he still like, you never got any answers to who the hell that was. Or was it even, I guess it was real, right? As it all turned well, no, out. I thought, I, what, what, wasn't there like a shot after that where it was just a statue or something like that? Maybe it was. I don't know. Like you see somebody like kind of lumber toward her in the dark. She like pap, pap, pap. And then that person falls. And then somebody grabbed, like reaches through like the wall or the screen or whatever it was behind her and pulls her through. So I just assumed she legitimately dropped somebody, but maybe not, right? Maybe it was just some goofy effect by this guy, right? So now she's out of the picture. So then the horror-thon begins, and it begins with a movie called Mosquito, which you can't really describe these things very well. Like, you know, Smoke, I think you did about as good as you could as far as comparing it to, like, those 50s um, gimmicky yeah, type kind of, like, those double type bill type movies. movies. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's all the movies that they made fun of on Mystery Science Theater 3000, right? It's like, it's like that kind of movie uh, that you're watching here. But they did a really good job of uh, kind of recreating that for these. Then Maggie's working the ticket box, the ticket office or the box office, and uh, some guy comes up and makes some comments. 
So she thinks it's a uh, lanyard gate. So she goes and like hunt, tries to hunt the dude down. So the gimmick for the mosquito movie is that they have a giant like rubber mosquito that they've got tied up to like some zip lines on the ceiling. That's like remote controlled that Mr. Davis is controlling. And it, I guess it's supposed to swoop in, like scare the shit out of people and go back or whatever. Well, someone like, up in the upper balcony has another remote control <laughs> and like supersedes Davis's control of the thing. And like basically turns around and spears Davis and kills him with it. Then somebody you see like in the back, like makes like a, like a rubber prosthetic, you know, mold of uh, Mr. Davis's face. Uh, and, and you see that there's other ones and stuff like, so somebody in the back is making these rubber faces. Right. So then after that, the horror thon continues. The next movie you see is attack of the amazing electrified man. Now, the whole gimmick of this one is they've got like these little, uh, they've got like this control board hooked up to a lot of the seats and they give like a small electric shock to the people in the audience. Now, my question is like, if this was a real gimmick back in the day, did they legitimately like send a small shock to people's asses back in the day or like, well, because in not, yeah, I think it's not as, not as dramatically as it was shown in this movie. I don't think it was actually a, you know, like a, like electric shock like you would think like make you jump out of your seat type thing to my i mean it, it maybe it was but to my understanding it was more like a it's a small jolt or buzz type thing or whatever that would make mm -hmm. you jump but not necessarily endanger you or anything yeah because they they did say in the commentary that like this is like because somebody asked like did y'all legitimately like shock people you know give a little shock and they're like no mm -hmm. it was just the, you know it was just acting with uh, a little bit of flare yeah you're right you know like they just kind of pop zip <laughs> like zip, the light then, lighting under the seats or whatever yeah yeah and, then, and then somebody in the, all the extras would just jump up like oh you know like they've been shocked but they weren't really getting shocked but my question was like when they really did this gimmick back in the 50s and 60s the, or whatever did they really give somebody like a small jolt i'm not sure how much I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how much of that was you know if it was actually yeah like electric actual yeah, electric yeah. shock or uh, I, I think or of just like a, a buzz you know whatever I think of that scene from uh, Ghostbusters, you know, at the beginning when they're uh, <laughs> Bill Murray's like giving the electric shock therapy. That's what I kept thinking of, you know, when they're, he's shocking these guys. So Mark, so, so Mark gets up to go get some popcorn, right? He's really going out to uh, talk to Maggie. And when he comes back <laughs> or like in the, in between time, some random, like, you know, six and a half foot big dude with a beard just sits down in a spot and basically just takes his lady, right? <laughs> the dude sits down like instantly puts his arm around her like, well, this is all accepted. And then eventually, <laughs> eventually Mark comes back and uh, the dude tells him to, uh, you know, go eat shit. And he's like, repeat that. And he stands up and punches him. Right. It's just a cool little shot, you know, where with them falling back and the camera kind of follows him. But like, this is, this is pretty jacked up. Like <laughs> this dude just moves in on her and on his lady. And then like, she doesn't even seem to give a shit. Like she's fully <laughs> accepting of it. Right. <laughs> I think that was the thing that got me. Like, she's not like, Hey, uh, uh, my, my guys, you know, that's his seat. Now she's just like, okay, well I'm yours now. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, uh, in the back, like I said, Mr. Davis is dead now, but somebody has like the mask of Mr. Davis on his face. And, uh, Tina, one of the, one of the students comes back and starts making out with uh, the old fake Mr. Davis who then now this is another one of those questionable, like what the fuck did we just see? What just happened scenes? So she's making out with the fake Mr. Davis. All of a sudden it's like his mouth like melts onto her mouth. And uh, it, it's a cool visual as she's like pulling back and you see the mask like pulling off his face. Right. If you're just looking at that, it's like, oh, it's a cool visual, but like, 
what exactly happened to her there, right? Like, how did that kill her? Because, you know, she fought basically <laughs> is dead after that. So what happened? How did it melt to her face? Yeah, that's the other thing. Was it a, a shit, uh, a poorly made mask that <laughs> just like it was still hot and rubbery? <laughs> but how how was he able to put it on his face in the first place at that point? Yeah, if it's that hot and rubbery, how the hell <laughs> did he get far that far into this gimmick? Now, like when I watched it with the commentary, they didn't explain it or anything, you know, exactly what the hell you just saw. But I could see it a little better than the original, you know, when I watched it the first time, like that shitty copy. I couldn't see it all that well. It looked to me kind of like there, the, the face kind of, you know, when she pulls back and the face kind of pulls off and then he takes the rest of the mask off. It almost looks kind of like he goes, he like lunges at her right after that. So like maybe he choked her out or something after that. Right. And the, and the whole mask thing was just, a, it just looked good for movie sake. Right. <laughs> it just looked really cool. So let's just go with that. And that's how she died. It'd be interesting to see if there was like some deleted scene that like shows him stabbing her or, you know, that shows him actually killing her as opposed to just our faces melt together and now you're dead. Then fake Tina comes along and goes into the old electric shock booth with Bud, the guy in the wheelchair who's been shocking people basically hooks him up. And this is like a whole five minute long scene where like come, uh, dude comes in, but he's dressed like Tina, but obviously it's a guy ties Bud up. Like, you know, basically slashed the shit out of him like 18 times too. Like <laughs> just keeps slapping the dude as he's tied up and then hooks it up to like, basically like, yeah, once this thing hit, it's going to go like red, blue, green or whatever. Once it hits yellow, uh, your ass is toast. So it's still shocking people in the crowd, but then eventually it goes to yellow and then it fries Bud. Then basically after that, you get the reveal of uh, Gates telling Maggie that he's her father. Or maybe like she kind of has another one of those weird dream sequence things and kind of comes to the realization that like, wait a minute, Lanyard Gates is my dad. And oh, by the way, uh, Suzanne's not my mom. That's my aunt. She just raised me and has been protecting me all these all these years. Meanwhile, why why has this woman not told me this? Like when I start bringing up all these weird dreams, oh oh baby, you're 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 bringing back repressed memories. Yeah. <laughs> Here, take some more medicine. Then, so then this is when we get the big reggae band performance by Chalice or whatever, where they're singing this. Uh, I can't I can't I even looked at it in the credits and I can't remember the name of the song. It's like one of those. Apparently, this song that they play here on the stage was a fairly popular song in Jamaica during that time period. Like, I think they said it, uh, uh, maybe it was in the commentary, maybe I read it somewhere that like, this was like the number one song in Jamaica for like two or three months during that time period. Uh, so this would have been a, a cool thing to see in Jamaica, you know, and, and I guess that's why everybody's like dancing along and singing and everything too. It's like, this was a popular song. What it has to do with the movie, not much at all, but <laughs> hey, we got Chalice here. Let's just throw them up on the stage, right? So, <laughs> That it's, I guess, to mention another thing there, this scene, or it's just the whole theater scene in general. And they talk about it in one of those interviews I saw that, you know, because it is in Jamaica and they sent out a thing for extras. So everybody that showed up at the theater, you know, it's in Jamaica. So they're all black. So yeah. they couldn't just have 99% of the people in the theater just be all one race. So they had some people put masks on. That's why you see a lot of people, random, you know, people wearing them. Some have a mask, some don't. Some are yeah, done up yeah. with makeup, some aren't. So. So they had to make it seem like it was in a place with all kinds of different people. And it's a, yeah, that was the only way they could do it was have people put masks on and stuff. 
more of a mixed crowd as opposed to just leaning one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. Makes sense. And they also pointed out too, that like a lot of these people in the crowd, uh, some of these people in, uh, in that big crowd of people in the theater were, um, actors from the movie. Once they got killed, they, <laughs> they would just put a mask on them and put them in the crowd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, you're not doing anything, and you're here in Jamaica. Get in the crowd, you know. <clears throat> I think they, they alluded to something about, like, apparently the crowd wasn't playing along like they wanted them to. So they had to kind of put some plants in there to kind of rile the crowd up and go along with what they needed them to do ah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that was part of the reasoning behind that. So Maggie gets with Toby, and they go down to the basement. Gates grabs her. This is when the horathon continues to the third movie called The Stench. Now, the gimmick with this one is, like, they pump in, like, some, uh, you know, some stink. It's basically just dry ice, right? But it's supposedly supposed to stink like a, a dead body or... Yeah, it's supposed uh, to be, like, aroma. Something I forgot what they called it. Some aroma. Uh, I think it was Aromarama. I think it's, is what it was. Yeah, Aromarama. And I, I don't yeah. know if anybody did that back in the 50s, but I know John Waters, for one of his movies, it might have been... I can't remember if it was Polyester or what. One of his movies, he had, like, a scratch and sniff thing. A certain thing would happen on the screen, and he'd scratch off and, smell. you know, smell... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's where they got that from, or if they had an actual aroma, Rama type thing in the fifties. I also like that the gimmick they gave everybody in the crowd was just like these little clothespins <laughs> with the stench <laughs> written on it, like <laughs> oh, yeah. on a piece of paper. <laughs> like they just put it on your nose. So then, right. So as this is playing out, Toby eventually is revealed as Lanyard Gate. So now you've you've come to the point where like the penultimate moment, where all along Toby has been the one. That is, uh, Lanyard, Ga Lanyard Gates is really dead, but, uh, he's found out all about this, you know, this backstory and everything, and he's using it to his advantage because apparently back when this whole Lanyard Gates incident happened with the fire and everything, he was in the theater with his mom. And I think they said his mom died, right? But like he got burned all over his body. And, uh, this is his motivation, I guess, is like get back at Maggie for this and, uh, and Suzanne, or whatever for, for this shit happening to him. But like the, the funny thing about this is, and I think this is another thing that sets this movie apart from a lot of the movies, especially the time of horror movies is that like, this is a sympathetic villain, right? Like you can understand <laughs> his, you can like legitimately understand his motivation and like, you know what, somewhat get behind it, you know, like, <laughs> hey, you know what, this guy's right, man. He got, he got fucked over, you know? <laughs> And, and and it's funny too that like Maggie accepts it as well. Like right, like he gives his whole explanation, and uh, I think she's like, "You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, buddy." Um, it sucks that I'm going to die, but here we go. Yeah, but I, I'm on board. So then uh, Cheryl and Joni remember the whole thing with uh, with the uh, the slutty girl Joy and the and the big bearded dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're out in the uh, uh, the lobby of the theater there. And, they confront them and then they, I think they end up smacking her and kicking her out. And then that dude comes at him and then Cheryl just kind of, uh, twists his arm around his back and gives him the old boot out the door. So that's the, the end of all of them, which is, it's such a weird, random little subplot going on here, right? <laughs> None of that has to do with anything, but whatever, I guess there has to be a little bit of comic relief here. And so as it turns out, you know, from earlier in the movie, movie, Suzanne got grabbed. She's still alive. Like this whole time, like he's held her hostage somewhere in there. Like, and he's like fitter in this little whole plastic uh, or not plastic, like this uh, plaster cast thing. Now, the funny thing is like, he's got her like in this, this plaster casting with her gun pointed out and you figure eventually, right. The gun would come into play, but does it, does she ever fire it? I don't think it ever comes into play. Does it? 
Or maybe if it does, I forgot. He's got Remember it either. She's kind of frozen there with the gun in her hand. Like her fa- her finger is clearly like on the trigger, but like you would think she'd be able to use it, but <laughs> it's like well, no, they just wasn't wasn't her hand casted where she couldn't move it. I thought that it was cast around the gun and her hand, but you could see her finger. It looked like her finger was loose to where she could pull the trigger if she wanted to, right? I thought. I don't know. And maybe something happened there that I just completely missed and all the you know, the stuff that happens at the end. I don't remember, but it just seems random that like you would set her up in this in this cast with the gun in her hand and not have that come into play in some way. Yeah, because yeah. there was that whole scene where he's like standing in front of her, daring, daring yeah, her she, to shoot. And she him. doesn't. Yeah, and she doesn't yeah. shoot him. I whatever. <laughs> then there's a, a scene of Leon, like he's he's kind of dressed in a straight jacket with like this white crazy hair and makeup and everything. He goes to take a leak. <laughs> and then he turns to his left and uh, clearly it's Toby dressed exactly like him, like same <laughs> face and everything. Right. And he just turns around and pisses on his leg, pushes <laughs> him into a, <laughs> pushes him into a stall, locks the door. And then what happened? Like he threw something in the toilet. <laughs> right. And then the dude passes out from the fumes and then it fucking blows up. Like. Wasn't I, he messing with something on the door handle too? Like a, <laughs> Like, well, he like locked a, he he locked him in there. Like he pushed him into the stall and then locked him in. Right? Was what he? I thought he was what he he did on the stall door. But then, like he throws like something into the toilet. Like I assumed it was one of those like stink tablets. You know that they were fucking oh, around yeah. with the the stinkarama or whatever or romarama, whatever it was called. I I just assumed it was one of those stink tablets. But this thing like goes off, starts smoking. Dude inhales the smoke, passes out, and then the toilet blows up. <laughs> So I, maybe there's something I missed there. Maybe he threw like eight cherry bombs in there or something that blew the guy's ass off. I don't I don't know what happened, but this it blew up. He's dead. So then Toby goes in to kill Joni. And then Joni basically, without realizing that it's Toby dressed up, confesses her love for Toby. Like, you know, how, how can I tell this guy that I'm, I'm madly in love with him? And he's just like, I got my own problems to deal with, and then runs out. <laughs> so her, her confession saves, saves her life. Then Mark goes to look for Toby and Maggie because he's been told that like they went off to his apart to Toby's apartment, right? So he goes and finds Toby's apartment and then goes in there and realizes that like Toby's off his nut. And uh, because you know, he sees all the newspaper clippings and everything. That and he now he realizes his intentions is to like finish this play in front of everybody and and uh, kill everybody. So he runs back to the theater. Toby, as as we've set up, plays the movie uh, Possessor in front of the uh, audience, pulls the curtain up and like tries to, to reenact the end of the movie by killing Suzanne and Maggie in front of everybody. Mark, right on time, like literally as they're counting down, like, you know, 15, 14, 13, the whole crowd. Because, you know, they think this is all a show, but in reality, this is really, murder's about to go down. Mark runs in, grabs a belt and zip lines down to the stage <laughs> causes like that mosquito thing to go haywire on the zip line. It swings across impales Toby kills him and like electrocutes him at the same time. I think right, right in front of the audience. Then of course, you know, as most of these kind of movies in, you know, it's kind of on a positive note, the cops, the cops finally show up when all the shit's gone down. And, uh, <laughs> then I think they have some line like, uh, Something about like the movies that she writes. So from here on, I'm going to write. Com- I'm going to write comedies, and then that's pretty much the end, right? You get the credits, and 
So there's popcorn from 1991. So, uh, Will, what'd you think of it? What's your star rating? I'll give this one probably kind of stuck between two and a quarter and two and a half. I mean, it's not bad. It's, it's definitely a movie of the times with uh, some of the way they went cornball with it. But it, it, it was a decent movie. So I guess, I guess I'll go two and a half. Smoke, what do you say? I go with the. Uh... I'm going to go with uh, three and a half on this one for me. Popcorn. I really, I've yes. enjoyed it over the years. I've, uh, I mean, it's not, just, it's not like this one that's grown on me or not grown on me. I liked it the first time I saw it, and uh, and I can, it has a replay, replayability for me. Yeah, I go with a, a three and a half on this one. Myself, I think I'm going to go with two and three quarters. I, don't, I didn't like it enough quite to give it three stars. Although, you know, maybe uh, as it grows on me, you know, I've, I've watched it a couple more times over the years or something. Maybe I'd bump it up, but. I think that's about right for myself, two and three quarters. It's definitely a, a time capsule type of movie. I know this was made in 89, comes out in 91, but it's definitely got a full-on like 80s feel, right? Like it feels like mm. it's an 80s movie. Um, yeah. Like you said, like it still I, has the practical effects and everything. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'd definitely sit down and watch it again. So I think overall, you know, our, our grades there, I think we all kind of feel about the same way of it. Uh, we all enjoyed it. Will, what's the kill count? I've got five, but you might can make a case for a sixth. So you got Mr. Davis with a mosquito through the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maggie gets the kiss of death. I'm going to go with. I think it was Tina. They got the old uh, kiss of death. Oh, okay. Bud got the electric chair. Leon blew up the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you, and then uh, Toby with a mosquito. And then if there was that mystery person in the theater when the aunt goes in to you know possibly confront the girl's dad. Yeah, whether she actually killed anyone or not, who knows? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So, uh, with that being said, Smoke, what's the gore score? Oh, well, as we kind of discussed a little bit, this movie wasn't about copious amounts of splatter or anything. You know, it had it had practical effects, makeup effects, latex, and things like that, like the kiss, the kiss of death, as we're calling it. The mosquito thing—you had the big giant mosquito thing on, and it, as and it was what it was supposed to be, just a prop. It was turned into a weapon. And that was probably, I don't know, that was my, maybe the only bloody scene in there, wasn't it? And that, that one was very restrained as far as the blood. The only other thing I can think of with blood was the Possessor movie, where he's talking, you know, he's saying Possessor and doing all that stuff. And then there's like blood point kind of going over his mouth or something, <laughs> even though you don't mm-hmm. see from what. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not really, not really a splattery movie. So uh, I think I would go trying to debate whether I would go with the three or four. I really haven't fleshed out, gotten to grips with like the lower end of, of some of the the gore stuff, you know, so I don't know. I would probably go with a three, maybe four. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's probably fair for this. I mean, it's. I don't know if we want to do. I don't. We don't. We aren't going to split hairs on the gore score, right? As far as going like three, going to half scores and things like that. No, I don't think there's really any reason to do that. It's just more of a kind of a guidepost to kind of what to expect yeah. as far as gore is concerned. I think I mean, there's some enough. people might watch it and say, nah, what are you talking about? There's more Gordon. It's got to be at least a four or five, but not. I think, I'd say a four is the highest we can go on it. I think there's enough here to say, like, you know, make it a PG-13 or maybe even an R movie, yeah. but not, yeah. a, not enough. Today, to, it would definitely know. be PG-13 today if it came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They only say the, the F word one time in the entire movie, yeah. and there's there's little blood in this entire movie. So, Which is funny coming off of uh, Chapter 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or the movie we did before that, which also coincidentally took place in a movie theater, Demons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we got a little running theme going here. Forgot about that. All right. So with that being said, like like I said, I think we all recommend it, and you should definitely go check it out. For our next movie, we're going to be uh, kind of leaning toward the old holiday season with St. Patrick's Day around the corner. 
So uh, we're going to be watching. Now there's a there's a movie series on Hulu called Into the Dark, and basically every like I say episode, but they're basically movies. So like every movie in this series on there is like a holiday themed movie. So we're going to be doing the one from uh, last year, March 2020, for St. Patrick's Day, and it's called Crawlers. But I'll give the synopsis that's on Hulu. On St. Patrick's Day, a night of wild parties and drunken revelry, three unlikely friends band together to save a college town from a vicious horde of body-switching aliens. So, uh, sounds promising. So, join us next time for Crawlers. You guys got anything to add about uh, popcorn or anything before we sign out? Did you mention about uh, Crispin Glover's dad being in this movie? No, it seems like I did see something about that, though, like, in the periphery, but I, and I didn't mention anything about that. Yeah, I knew it's got about it, like I said, until just now at the end, but it was, uh, he was in the, what was the, the second movie within the movie they watched the uh the guy with the electrocution yeah yeah the uh, uh the amazing electrified man or whatever it was yeah, called yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he was the uh, electrified man i believe vernon the character's name was. yeah the main guy and you can definitely <laughs> yeah. now that you now that you point that out you could definitely see a resemblance yeah. between that guy and crispin glover they, yeah they, they look they look a lot Bruce Glover, that's it. that was his name I'm trying to think okay of his name. yeah 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 that's another cool little tidbit for sure another thing i'll add too is I, before we sign out here i'd love to be in a movie theater with that kind of uh, atmosphere, you know, where oh, yeah. everybody's like in there having a good time. They're all dressed yeah. up. You know, I know it's for the movie, but it would be cool to go see an old school movie like this in that kind of atmosphere, you know? And we, we uh, did have something like that here where I'm at in, in, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Well, I don't live in Columbia. I live outside of it, but a uh, uh, small theater on main, main street or whatever. Yeah. This uh, Christopher Bickle used to do uh the lowbrow Friday. Every first Friday of the month, he would do a cult film like this, mm-hmm. and he got the you know he had a good following of people. I mean, that theater it wasn't as big, nearly as big as this theater, mm-hmm. but it was fairly decent size. And he would pack it out. Sometimes you could you'd have to get there earlier. You wouldn't even be able to get get in and get a ticket. Now it would, sometimes people would dress up a little bit, not necessarily like they were in this movie again, but but it was always yeah, a good yeah. time because people they would serve alcohol, too. so you get people heckling the screen and all that. And yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was a it was a party. Yeah. That kind of went on to make more movies of his own, so now they don't do it anymore. But what was that, Josh? I said that kind of atmosphere is cool, and this movie, Popcorn, would be a good would be good fodder for it. You know, it would be cool to watch this movie in that type of atmosphere. So, um, so yeah, I guess uh, like I said, uh, join us next time for Crawlers and uh, go watch Popcorn. So, for Will and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All American Spook Show podcast. And we will see you next time. Scary, scary movies on the silver screen. Make me shake, make me sweat, you know the kind of pain. Scorched day and night, there's the innocent sex. Raging fires, vampires, creeping, crawling, bug infested. I want some out of space, corpses come to life. Schizophrenic, maniac, attacking with a bloody knife. Inside his twisted cross, he's got a blade that's two feet long. Pierces through his lovely wife, he bits the bitch so long. <laughs> I love it. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.